It's been said many, many times that you don't want to simply prioritize your schedule, but to what? All right, Marcus knows it. This maybe it hasn't been said enough. To, you don't want to just prioritize your schedule. You want to schedule your priorities. So you could take your schedule and fill it up with lots of things. But if the lots of things that you fill your schedule up with aren't actually things that should be priorities, you're just going to be shuffling around a lot of unimportant stuff. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the first question you must ask is what are your king's priorities? And after you understand clearly what his priorities are, then you take his priorities. And as a follower of the king, you make as best you can by his grace, his priorities, your priorities. And you schedule those in your life. And so what we're going to be doing is, Lord willing, in a few weeks, we're going to dive headlong into the book of James, uh, which is a, a wonderful New Testament letter. But before we do that, we're going to take the month of January as we begin this new year to ask ourselves, what are some of the priorities of our king? And then spend a, a week each week thinking about how we can take those priorities and schedule them in the life of this church and also individually. The first priority we're thinking about this morning is the priority of God's word. God says in Psalm 138, verse two, says you, the psalmist says, you, O God, have exalted above all things your name and your word. And God has exalted his word to the highest place. And so as followers of Christ, we want to do the same. So to that end, let me invite you to take your Bibles and open up to the very end. Last chapter of the most important letter ever written. God's letter to us in the Romans, to the Romans. So if you take your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 16. It's in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with reading a Bible, you can open the Bible up on the table of contents. You'll see the page numbers there. Romans chapter 16 is found in the Pew Bible on page 951. And we're going to be looking at the the last paragraph to this amazing letter, beginning in verse 25, all the way down to verse 27. This is what scripture says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. My prayerful aim for us this morning aligns with Paul's prayerful aim in this passage. Namely, I want to plead with you. I want to to urge you. I want to exhort you to, as it were, glorify God 
By receiving his strength through prizing his word. That's my prayer for each one of us this morning. I want us to glorify God. You'll notice that this is what they call a doxology. We'll get into this in a minute. But this is a a wonderful doxology that's teaching us the importance of glorifying God, of giving God glory by coming to him for strength. Now, but you, I I want to be strengthened at the start of another year. And that's what our aim is this morning. And the way that we receive strength from God is by prizing his word. So for those of you who are note takers, I know some of you, maybe one or two are maniacal note takers. We have three points this morning. I'll give it to you in a sentence and then I'll give you the three points. The sentence is give God glory by receiving God's strength through prizing God's word. But the three points are give God glory. Number two, receive God's strength. And number three, prize God's word. We'll spend the bulk of our time on that third point, prize God's word. So give God glory, receive God's strength. And number three, prize God's word. Number one, give God glory. Verses 25 and 27. This is the last paragraph of the greatest letter ever written in the history of the world. If you've never read Romans, a great thing to do in 2020 is sit down and read this entire letter. Part of it is a missionary support letter. The Apostle Paul is wanting to get to Spain to preach the gospel where there are those who have not heard. He is on his way to Rome. He wants to go to Rome, preach the gospel to the church in Rome and be supported by them to go as a frontier missionary to Spain. And so what Paul does, because Paul's not been there, he gives them 16 chapters where he shows the Romans, this is my gospel. This is the gospel that I preach. And so if you want to grow in the gospel in 2020, a great place to camp out and live is Paul's letter to the Romans. He concludes this letter with a doxology. Now, kids, if you wonder, it's a big word, doxology. What do I mean? The first part of the word doxa is a Greek word that means glory. And the last part of that word is a word logos that means word or message. So a doxology is just a word or a message of praise or glory. And you notice there in these verses, this is what Paul is doing. He's concluding his letter by asking his readers to give glory to God. But Paul can't even do a doxology without giving us a run on sentence. You notice this? Look at verse 25. Paul would flunk English class, right? He he has... He begins in verse 25 with the words, now to him who is what? Okay, we got to wake up now. Now to him who is able. And then he gives all of these qualifications and descriptions about this God and his gospel who is able. He gets to the very end of the verse, down in verse passage, verse 27, and comes back to his idea. Now to him who is able, verse 27, that is to the only wise God. And here's the point. Be glory. You see that? Be glory for how long? Forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul is 
between the words to him who is able and to the only wise God are all these phrases that he piles up that we're going to consider here in a minute. But before we look at these phrases, before we look at the, the, the part in the middle, I want us to just stop for a minute and reflect on the fact that we're starting 2020 with a doxology. This is the season, tis the season for New Year's what? <laughs> Resolutions, right? Some of you have already failed miserably in your New Year's resolutions, right? Um, maybe you aspire this year to lose weight or to eat healthy or to spend more quality time with your family or to spend less time looking at a screen or you want to travel more or you want to read some books or you, you want to do a new hobby. I don't know what your resolutions might be. But no matter what your resolutions are, if you're a follower of Christ, no matter what year it is, the ultimate priority in your life is to glorify God. That's why you exist. You exist, you're put on this planet to bring honor and praise to the God who made you. And if you're a Christian, the God who has rescued you through the gospel. You exist to bring him glory. So whatever else you aspire to do, you want this year, as long as he lends you breath, and this may be the last year you are here, whether you're old or whether you're young, but as long as you have breath, let everything who has breath praise the Lord. That's why you're here is to bring honor and praise to the king. And one of the reasons that I love starting the year off with a doxology is doxologies don't just generically call you to praise and glorify your God. I need reasons to glorify my God. If I have this generic view of God, that doesn't inspire much worship in my heart. God did not, listen to me, worship without specifics will become stale and stagnant. So, you've heard before the devil's in the details, right? Baloney, God is in the details. <laughs> God is in the details. I worship a God who has revealed himself in 66 books of the Bible, right? God did not give us 66 books of the Bible. He didn't give us thousands and tens of thousands of verses in order to be vague. He didn't give us his word so that you could have a misty and generic and mushy picture of who he is and what he's done for you. True and lasting and serious relationships are always founded upon intimate knowledge. Any relationship that you have that's worth anything is a relationship where you know the other person. You know them. You, you know about them. You, you spend time with them. If I were to ask you, if you're, if you're married and I asked you about your spouse, I would expect you to have all kinds of stories Good story, not necessarily bad stories, but stories that you can say, these are, these are all the ways. Let me count the ways that I, I love my spouse. Or my, if I ask you about your children, you're not going to say, well, they're just, you know, we have 2.5 children and, you know, they, 
No, you're going to tell us what did they do this week? What made you laugh this week? What did they do that made you that made you proud of them? You're going to give me intimate details. God has given us intimate details throughout his word so that we could glorify him. He did not give us 66 books and 1,189 chapters and 31,102 verses in order to be confusing about what he's like. He gave us all of this in order that we might be able to behold him as it were in 4K 3D. No, not sorry. 4K HD. That's what it is. Not a tech guy. There it is. 4K HD. Now, I am nearsighted, which kids, what does that mean? I always get it confused. I literally had to Google it. Am I nearsighted or farsighted? I'm nearsighted. That means I can see things that are near me, but not what? Stuff that's far off. Some of you, though, I'm looking around. Some of you wear reading glasses, right? Because you can't read what's up close. You need something to help you see what's up close. And I want you to think of the scriptures The scriptures are supernatural reading glasses. They're divine spectacles through which we see with clarity and distinction who God is and what God has done for us in the gospel. There was a theologian many, many years ago. He wrote a book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And he said this. Just as those with weak vision, if you thrust before them a most beautiful volume, even if, they rec- even if they recognize it as some sort of writing, they can scarcely construe two words. But with the aid of spectacles, they will begin to read distinctly. So the scriptures, gathering up the confused knowledge of God in our minds, clearly shows us, the true God. And then he wrote this. Therefore, the scriptures are a special gift where God, to instruct his church, opens his most hallowed lips. Isn't that amazing? When we read God's word, God, because he breathed them out, is opening his own most hallowed lips. And he's telling us with his own words who he is and what he has done for us. So these doxologies teach us specific things, specific things about who he is so that we'll praise him. Let me give you a couple really quick. We're actually going to get to studying the Bible in a minute, but just let me, let me, let me, Get you there by way of worship. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are what? All things. To him be glory forever and ever. There's you. One reason why you should give him glory is that from him and through him and to him is everything. Number two. This is a great doxology. Revelation 1, 5, and 6. This is a doxology to Jesus. To him who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why should you give Jesus praise this morning is that he loved you and he paid for your sins with his own blood. Number three, 
Jude 24 and 25 is probably the best doxology in the New Testament. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of God with great joy to him, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. That's plenty of reasons right there to give God glory, right? But I want to ask, what's the reason? What are we told in this doxology in Romans 16? What's the specific thing we're told about God to give him glory in 2020? So let's look at that. Number two, this is, that was give God glory. This is number two, receive God's strength. Look at verse 25, receive God's strength. There's many reasons in this doxology. We're just going to focus on one of them, but I do want to mention the other two. Look at verse 26. Did you notice the phrase according to the command of the eternal God? You see that? So one reason you should give God praise this morning is that he's eternal. Just think about that. He is a perpetual refuge for his people. He has been our dwelling place throughout all generations because he's the eternal God. Because he's the eternal God, have you realized this? His steadfast love endures how long? Forever. He is loving and he's eternal. Therefore, his love for you is eternal. He has loved you even before the foundation of the world. He's an eternal God. He has no beginning and he has no end. And if you are in Christ, your joy and happiness in him will know no end either because he's the eternal God. So you could just you could take a whole sermon on that, but we're not going to do that. We're also not going to spend much time on the second reason to give God glory. Look at verse 27, the phrase to the only what wise God. Isn't that great? There's only one wise God in it, and it's the Lord God of hosts. He's the only wise God. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. But number three, the one that we're going to spend our time on is, is number three. It's there in verse 25. Notice the phrase. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Do you see that? So let's just meditate on this for a minute. We should give God glory. We should receive his strength because he's the one who is able. Do you see that? Your salvation doesn't depend on your abilities. If it depended on our abilities, none of us would be saved, right? We, our eternity, our salvation rests upon the one who is able to save us. We go to the one who is able. I love that. In our passage, he is able to do one thing, but think about it. He's able to do far beyond all that we can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.14. He is able, we just read, to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless, right? But look what our passage says. He's able to do what? To strengthen you. Does anybody here need strength? Does any, okay, we have one person in the back. All right, all of you can just just go home. I'm talking to you, right? Does anybody think of 2020 as this is the year that I can just do everything in my own strength? No, 
We are those who are weak. We need to be strengthened. And what's amazing is Paul, after spending 16 chapters, he ends with now to him who is able to strengthen you. He's able to give us strength. This this verb is translated other places to support you, to establish you, or to fix you firmly in place. That wonderful? You can turn to this God because he's able to strengthen you and energize you and uphold you so that you will stand firmly in place for his gospel. I want you to just ponder this for a minute. Some of you have read this doxology before, and and at this point you're thinking, yeah, 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 I get all this. But the key to studying the Bible is to spend time meditating on what God's word says. Just think about this for a minute. Paul's teaching us that the greatness of our God is reflected in how he uses his strength. God is a great and mighty king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But have you ever thought about God is not like any earthly monarch that's ever existed. Earthly monarchs, the strongest and mighty of the earthly monarchs, often do one thing. They use their power to keep their people weak. They use their power. They accumulate power by keeping the people that they're ruling over weak. Throughout throughout the history of this world, monarchs have used their authority to keep the people uneducated, to keep the people poor, to keep the people pressed down. Because if the people are weak, the monarch can stay on the throne. So the, the monarch's power and authority is reflected not in how he uses his power, but how he oppresses those who are under his care. But our God isn't like that. Our God is mighty in power. He does everything that he pleases. But our God is a king who gets glory not by oppressing his weak subjects, but by strengthening them. He gets glory by making his subjects who are weak strong. Isn't that awesome? That's where you say amen or amen, wherever you're from. Our God magnifies the glory of his might by making his people strong. It's wonderful. We read earlier, remember in Isaiah, what is our God like? He's the God who's the everlasting creator of the ends of the earth. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. He's the everlasting God. He's the maker of the ends of the earth. And how does the maker of the ends of the earth use his power? The next verse, he gives power to the faint. To him and her that have no might, he increases their strength. That's how he wields his power. But brothers and sisters, it's only those who are sick who have need of a physician. And it's only those who know that they're weak have a need to be strengthened. 
So let me ask you a few questions this morning before we get to the practical side. We are getting practical here in a minute. Are you humble enough to admit that you are weak? Are you honest enough to admit that you need help? Are you weary enough to come to the Lord for strength? You will not receive strength from God if you think you're strong in yourself. One of my favorite pastors, a guy named John Newton, he wrote this in a letter to one of his folks in the congregation where he served. He said this, quote, Sin, Satan, and unbelief often attempt to make me let go and cast my confidence away, but they have not prevailed. No thanks to me, quote, for I am weaker than water, but I am wonderfully kept by a mighty God. Brothers and sisters, whether we acknowledge it or not, each one of us is weaker than water. And the question is, are we looking to God to be marvelously helped and marvelously kept? So we're to give God glory, brothers and sisters, by receiving God's strength. And the question we're going to spend these last few minutes on is how? How? How do you receive strength and glorify this mighty God. Well, that brings us to our third and final point. We give God's glory by receiving God's strength through prizing God's word. Through prizing God's word. That's number three. Number three is prize God's word. I, I was going to say prioritize, but I, I want an even stronger verb. I don't want you to just prioritize God's word. I want you to prize it. We read earlier in the service, it's more precious than fine gold, right? So you should prize God's word. Where, where do I get this? Where do I get this? Look at the passage again, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, how does he strengthen us? He gives us several phrases beginning with the word according to or by. How does he strengthen us? Verse 25. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known. So how does God... How does the only wise God strengthen his people? The answer given by Paul, he he does all this according to or by the gospel that's been made known. Notice through the prophetic writings. Your translation may say through the scriptures. Paul's referring to the Old Testament. How do we know this? It's because he was writing the New Testament. (laughs) Paul's referring to the Old Testament, and he's saying in this passage that with the coming of Christ into the world, the prophetic scriptures have been revealed 
And he's going to talk about there in the passage this mystery. We'll talk about the mystery a little next week. The mystery we know from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, is that the Gentiles are co-heirs, full citizens in the kingdom of God. We knew that God was going to bless the nations, the Gentiles, in the Old Testament through the Messiah. But this coming of Christ into the world made clear this secret that had been, as it were, kept hidden for ages. Namely, that the Gentiles are co-heirs in the kingdom with those who trust in Messiah who are Jewish. But notice there a few things. Notice, I love how Paul calls the gospel. Notice he calls it what? Not the gospel. What does he call it? My gospel. Isn't that great? Paul's gospel was so precious to him that he says, it's mine. It's mine. Can you say that this morning? Do you think of the gospel as that's, that's mine? Don't, don't you go tampering with my gospel, right? That's what Paul is saying. And he says, he defines the gospel by the proclamation or the preaching of Jesus Christ. So everything that Paul understands that's testified to in the Old Testament He summarizes with the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're wondering, what what does this word gospel mean? It means good news. The gospel is good news of what God has done for those who have not glorified him as they ought, but rather lived for themselves like rebels. And that's each one of us. Instead of living for his glory, the God who made us and created us for relationship, we in our sin have turned our backs on him. We've walked how we want to walk. We've lived lives that we want to live. And we don't give a rip about God. We don't care about him. We don't care about his word. We don't care that he gives us life and breath and everything. And we spend our lives living for ourselves making our own name great when God, our maker, is calling us to live for him. And because he's good and because he's holy and because he's right and we're not, without the gospel, that'd be really bad news because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that in his mercy, in his love, He sent his only son into the world who lived the life that we were supposed to live, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again for our justification and who ascended into heaven and offered his sacrifice to the father. It was fully accepted. And now any, any one of us who turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, we are received into the fellowship of God. We're received as children of God, and our sins are fully pardoned and forgiven. And this isn't by anything that we do. It's just by trusting in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says through the proclamation of Jesus Christ, the reason we spend a bulk of our time as we, when we gather in this, as a church, we spend a bulk of our time reading God's word, praying God's word, singing God's word, but also doing the thing we're doing right now, preaching God's word. One of the ways you, by God's grace, will be strengthened is hearing with faith the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's how you will be strengthened. That's how you were brought into the fellowship of the church. 
That's how you are strengthened to continue in the fellowship of God's people all the way to the end. And so, brothers and sisters, we'll spend time next week thinking about the implications for the world. But let me summarize what Paul is saying. Look at look again at the passage. Paul is saying God gets glory by strengthening his people through the gospel of his son that has been revealed through all the scriptures. And so my question to you is if you want to be strengthened in 2020, you have got to, as it were, put yourself in the lane where God says he's all about strengthening you, namely the lane of the holy word of God. So my question to you is, do you see how important Bible intake is for your walk with Christ? He's telling you, you will be strengthened by the gospel as it's been revealed through God's word. So if you don't bring that word into your life, you will not find strength. You will not find the resources you need to follow him in 2020. If we are deprived of air or food or water for long enough, we die. I'm not a scientist, but that's what I've heard, right? We constantly, listen, but you ever thought about this? Why did God make us to need things like food and air and water? We need life to come into us from the outside. We need life to come into us. This is true physically, but it's also true spiritually. Every day you need to be sustained spiritually by the word of God. And every day, the good news is the spirit of God offers that sustenance to you through his word. So we don't approach the Bible with a posture of offering. We approach the Bible with a posture of receiving. Now, to wake you all up and also to give away a few gifts, it's, it's past Christmas, but I do want to pass out. I have a few copies left. I'm going to ask my lovely assistants to pass out. This is a wonderful short little book. Now, if you've not read the Bible, read the Bible. But if you want an encouragement to read the Bible, this is a great book to read. So here you go. You guys, if you want this, this is a free book written by a friend that's excellent. So if you're humble enough to say, I need help reading the Bible and encouragement to read the Bible, don't be ashamed. Hold your hand really high. And if you pay these girls enough, they'll give you a book. No, I'm just <laughs> Emelon asked me, she's like, who do I give it to? I just said, just give it to whoever, right? I'll try to have some of those again next week. This is encouragement to sit close to the front. You get free books. So I read a, a book last year by a guy named Bill Bryson, and it, the book's called The Body, The Body, and it's a book about our bodies. It's really creatively titled, right? And he said this, quote, over a lifetime, over a lifetime, we eat about 60 tons of food, which is equivalent to eating 60 small cars. And then he said this, but in the U.S., we are left in a bizarre and paradoxical situation that we are essentially the world's most overfed nation 
but also one of its most nutritionally deficient ones. A significant proportion of the U.S. population is overfed and malnourished, end quote. If you're overfed and malnourished, you've got to ask the question, what are you feeding on? What are you eating? And I wonder if you could say something similar about the churches in America. Lots of lots of things to eat, but spiritual malformation. Lots of churches, lots of Christians who might be overfed and yet remain malnourished. Think about this country has access to more Bible translations, more Christian books, more Bible studies, more sermons, more devotionals than probably any country in the whole world. Probably any country in the history of the world. We have a cornucopia of resources. But some might say that we're overfed and undernourished. So the question we should ask is, what are we feeding on? Brothers and sisters, our good and gracious Savior invites hungry beggars to sit with him every day at this banquet table. And he invites us to feast with him. Let that ring in your ears. You're probably thinking, what am I going to do for the Lord this year? It's a good question to ask. But the better question to ask is this. If you will not feast with him, what will you do for him? If you will not feast with him, what will you do for him? What does your daily and weekly diet of feasting on God's word, prizing God's word look like? At our house, we have a phrase, no Bible, no breakfast. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Doesn't always get obeyed, right? But listen, Jesus said, you don't live on food. What do you live on? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you got to choose between breakfast or Bible, get, get breakfast to go and read your Bible, right? So let me briefly give you a few things, but I, I want you to be asking yourself, not what's 20 things I'm going to do this year. Ask this question and, and think about it this afternoon. Don't just write it down. Come back to it and think about it prayerfully. What is one thing One thing you can do starting this week, starting today, to improve your intake of the Bible. What's one thing you can do? Habits are not formed by doing 50 things at once, by doing one thing and doing it repeatedly. So what's one thing you can do? So let me just ask you a few things, a few few tips. Number one, prioritize or prize God's word in your schedule. So whatever you need to do to make sure you're getting time to spend time in the word, make it a priority. Make it a, 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 a prized position in your calendar. Um, just as a heads up, the average movie in America is two hours long. 
And don't, I know we have some folks in here that love movies. This is not an anti-movie statement. I'm not bashing Star Wars. So don't, don't, don't be yelling at me at the back door. But just listen. The average movie is two hours. In two hours, in a slow pace, you can read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, James, 1st Peter, 2nd Peter, 2nd John, 3rd John, and Jude. Let's close in prayer. So, so don't tell me you don't have time. You have time. Guess, guess how much time you have. You have the same amount of time as everyone else has. <laughs> we have 24 hours, right? So the question is, how will we use our time? Now, I know, I know I'm talking to a room full uh, of maybe young mothers. Listen, you have less time than everyone else, right? But listen, our schedules will change depending on what season of life we're in. But the question isn't length of time, but are you make if you've got five minutes in the morning on the commute, how are you going to choose to use that five minutes? Maybe you need to choose those five minutes to be listening to the word or reading the word because, you know, I've got to hear from God today. You're prioritizing it. Even if I get one verse, brothers and sisters, you can memorize Lots of scripture. If you just try to memorize one verse a day, just take one verse. One, it takes 10 seconds to memorize a verse. And then guess what? Tomorrow, review that verse and memorize another verse. And at the end of the year, you've memorized the book of James. You can do it, but you got to prioritize it in your schedule. So prize Number one, reading God's word. Some of this means you need to, to, to make a plan. If you don't make a plan to read, you won't read. So make a plan. Some of you are really adventurous and you do the through the Bible year. Anybody adventurous to do a through the Bible year plan? Anybody want to do that? Okay, a handful of, you get through Leviticus and then it's, it's like the slew of Despond and you just die, right? That's when the Bible, Bible plans die, right? That's a great, I love Leviticus. Um, but so maybe through the Bible in a year is too much. Maybe you're like, you know what? I don't know if I can do that. If you've never done it, try it. But if, if it's too much, you know what you can do? There was a book written years ago by a guy. Uh, I stole it. His name's James Gray. And he wrote a little book called Mastering the English Bible. And this is what he said. Pick one book of the Bible and read it over and over again for 30 days. And he said, this, is, this was his method. It's really complicated. Number one, read the book. Number two, read it continuously. Number three, read it repeatedly. Number four, read it independently. That is, don't look at commentaries. Just read it. And number five, read it prayerfully. And you do that one book for 30 days. That book will become a part of your soul. So maybe some of you don't need to read widely. You need just to read narrowly and read deeply. You can prize listening to God's word. If you own a smartphone, you're like, I'm too lazy. I don't want to read. Have someone read to you. <laughs> Everybody loves to be read to. And they have wonderful voices. You can pick an English. You can have someone like John Lax and Sheila's voice reading to you. It's, it sounds so much better, right? Pick a Bible app for free, the ESV app. You can download it for free and listen to someone read the Bible to you. Prioritize meditating on God's word. Beholding glory begs for lingering. If you go to the Grand Canyon, you don't just 
Get out of your car, look at the Grand Canyon for three seconds. Like, all right, I've seen it. Let's head on to the next thing. You go to the Grand Canyon and you just want to stare. Because beholding glory begs for lingering. And when you're reading God's word, you get to a verse that's just glorious. Stop and meditate and reflect on what it's saying. Prioritize and prize praying God's word. We'll have a message on this in a a little while, in a few weeks. Memorize God's word. Sing God's word. Get a hymnal. You can take one of the ones in the pew if you want, if you're going to use it. But singing God's word is a way for you to hide God's word in your heart. And then as we meditate and prize and sing and read, we'll we'll begin to share God's word with others. That's a great way for the word of God to come out in your life is to share it with your children, to share it with your neighbors, to share it with your coworkers. Let me close with this before we go to the supper. Uh, About 170 years ago, almost to the day, almost to the day, January 6th, so 170 years ago tomorrow, there was a young man who was going to hear a famous preacher. And he and his friend were, uh, were walking through London and it was snowing and they couldn't get to where they were going because the guy didn't show up. So like, well, we, it's Sunday. We got to hear a sermon. Um, and so they're like, oh, here's a, little, here's a little Methodist chapel. Let's stop there. So they go in and they sit down and the preacher who was supposed to preach at the Methodist chapel didn't show up either. And it was just this deacon who gets up to preach, just a deacon. Didn't know his name. He didn't even know how to preach. And he quotes a verse from the Bible, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And he just kept repeating that verse over and over again. And he said, all you got to do is look. You don't have to be smart to look. You don't have to be wealthy to look. Just look. Look to the Lord and be saved. And the young man who was sitting there that day, who heard this unnamed preacher repeating God's word, was converted. His name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon wrote years later, I had been waiting to do 50 things. But when I heard that word look, what a charming word it seemed to me. And then and there, the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away. And at that moment, I saw the sun. And ere since by faith, I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Brothers and sisters, We begin this year by looking to our Savior as he has revealed himself in his word. Will you look? Let's pray. Our gracious God and Savior, we thank you for your priceless word. And we ask you to help us to make it not just a priority, but the very food for our souls. Give us the power to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.